0: I'm your host, Jen Ramsey. As a coach with a love for metaphysics, science, spirituality, and strategies that get results, I'll help you step away from self-doubt and create a powerful new story for your life, business, or career. Join me. Hey everyone, Jen Ramsey here for this week's episode of Your Freedom Unlimited, and I am so excited to be introducing to you this week Iris Ray Nunn. Iris is an author, a playwright, an environmental activist, and an aromatherapist. She is also a nature guide, and she takes people into the Australian bush to help to teach them the skills of deeply listening to nature. But it doesn't end there in terms of where Iris uh, is coming from. She's also a very established writer, has just published her first book, Climbing the World's Tallest Tree. And she has also just completed her first mini documentary called Raw Action and is submitting that to the Sundance Film Festival. So welcome, Iris, to our interview today. So pleased to have you here.
1: I'm so pleased to be here, Jen. Thank you for having me.
0: You know it's just my pleasure and what I didn't say in that intro is that Iris is a very long-term friend of mine we have known each other since we were teenagers so mm-hmm. um, it's such an honor to have you on the podcast today Iris and for you to be sharing your story of how and your journey to freedom I mean you've you've done there's many things we've just covered in that biography mm-hmm. and um, what I'd like to do though is to perhaps rewind a little bit back to the beginning perhaps, Just to hear a bit of your backstory and how you really have taken this journey into freedom, I just I know it's fantastic, and I can't wait for people to to hear from you.
1: Well, I thank you so much for having me, and hello everybody. I uh, honour the ancestors where I am here on Bunjilung Country. I'm in northern New South Wales. And well, where did this begin? Oh my gosh, that's a where the storyteller wants to begin the beginning of a story. It's like, oh wow, you know, the first thing that comes to me is uh, the near death experience that I had with
0: my sister. Wow! That, uh, when I was ten years old. Mm, let's go there. Let's just share share with us a little bit about that. I know this is you talk about this. I think a little bit in your book, but let's yeah, I'd love to hear about this and how that impacted yeah, you. No, it's funny.
1: It's funny because I think I've told you this story, I know I've told you, and I had it in my book. Oh. And my editor said, yeah, she said, I love that story, it's amazing, but it doesn't quite fit. But in terms of freedom, this, this topic of freedom, I think it's uh, incredibly important because as a 10-year-old, as a child, everything feels free. Everything mm. feels like a wonderful world of exploration and the ability to be able to imagine and dream comes very, very easily mm. to a child. And so when I was caught in a rip and a lot of Australians know what that feels like mm. uh, and tragically we lose uh, a lot of people every year who aren't able to see the dangerous water and enter into places where the current needs to go out and quickly panic. Uh, You can survive a rip if you don't panic, (laughs) which is very metaphorical really. But as a 10 year old, uh, we we always swam between the flags We were always told that that was the safest place. And we had gone out to a sandbar and we had my sister and I, my brother and some family friends, and we had crossed a gutter and it was quite calm, the water, though deep. And we played out on the sandbar for about an hour. And when it was time to come back, it was my big sister who saw that the gutter had turned into a rip and that it had an important job to do and that was to turn the tide. But before we could, she could do anything. In fact, before there was a chance to even think, Jen, the sand was swept from underneath our feet. And that feeling, it was terrifying. In fact, it was a a bodily feeling that I had to, process again when I was writing that particular chapter that wasn't in the book (laughs) but will be in my next book. So this feeling of losing control and being swamped by this enormous force of the sea and then crying out to the lifesaver instantly going, we're scared. And the lifesaver was reading his newspaper
0: Oh, dear, not a a great thing to be doing at that time and these waters are so dangerous. So, wow, what happened then? Mm -hmm.
1: I panicked and uh, it's in self-lifesaving, they call it climbing the ladder. And so you you no longer are rational. You no longer see beloved big sister. You no longer see uh, things clearly other than the biology to survive and I've spoken to a returned soldier who saw this in Afghanistan. He said he saw people who were in their death throes just fighting to survive. The biology just says live at all costs. So I started to climb the ladder and I pushed my sister's head numerous times under the water so that I was drowning her. So uh, if you can, uh, you have to kick the person off, you. Uh, with your foot up to their chest and continue to push them off you or knock them out or wait till they've knocked out and pull them out of the water. So quite a, quite a thing to do for a rescuer. So at that stage of um, my panic, my sister knew from grammar school how to push off uh, a panicking um, a person in the ocean. She'd learnt how to do that. She did that numerous times to the point where I started to let go. Uh, I had no choice. I believe I passed out from terror, from the sheer terror. Mm. It all happened within minutes. Within seconds people can go into pure panic. And so I started to go down, Jen, into the water and the water was black and I I remember being quite intrigued. Wow, the water's turned black. (laughs) And, of course, you know, unless you're in a tea tree lake down here in northern New South Wales, you don't see black water in the ocean. No. Um, so way. no, so I started to go down into the water and in an intriguing sense come over me, and then I was pulled way back up and uh, by a rescuer, and I looked up into the sky, and I heard my sister say, "What about me to this rescuer?" and the rescuer said nothing, but everything that she had in her body went into my body. I I, I don't know how else to explain it. It was faith. Mm. She had her message in her body was everything is going to be alright. And mm. with this massive expansion I was able to see light that just went on and on and on. This golden, golden eternal, 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 eternal light and this no matter what, no matter how bad it looks, no matter how scary it is, everything is gonna be all right. And so I was then lifted uh, out of what I believe was, I know was a quantum experience. Mm. My sister saw this happen, it was witnessed. My rescuer came out of nowhere. My rescuer said nothing and within a second, my feet were in the shallow water and there was no rescuer. I was a child in magic, really, going, there's magic. Magic has just happened. I've just been magically lifted. No struggle, Mm -hmm. no rip, no mum. Where's your mum? Nothing. I was just standing in shallow water. And so this experience of everything is going to be all right, everything, is something that opened my mind.
2: Mm -hmm.
1: And when I then was a child, like all of us in you know in this australian modern world um lucky first world we're in school we're in uniforms we're in classrooms we're in boxes uh i had this very difficult kind of merging of worlds and Mm. i believe that once i started when i became an adult woman living on my own making my own choices going through the school system through the university system i moved to i oh, I got to work down here in Byron Bay which was a childhood play place and many people know Byron as a as a uh, you know the most easterly point in australia it's a place where consciousness is pushing out where there's pioneering uh, experiences the bohemians on the fringe here so i came to my belonging place and uh, mm-hmm. And I was able to let that experience as a 10-year-old inform me more and more and more and more,
0: yeah. Wow. What a powerful, powerful story and what what an incredible beginning for you to have had that experience and, as you've said, to have the, you know, as you said, have very, if you like, the very blessed, yet if you like, standard Australian growing up experience, very first world experience, and not everyone in our country had that same experience in that era. We're talking about the mm-hmm. 1970s and we we know that, and and you yeah. share that in, in in um in your book, and mm-hmm. um, but to have had that experience, that that great opening up, and what you're sharing there, I'm actually quite fascinated by near death experiences, and I've done mm-hmm. some reading a bit of research into it, and what you're sharing is is absolutely in alignment with the other. Um, things that I have read,
2: and other stories mm-hmm.
0: that have been documented, and this sense of feeling that everything is going to be all right, and that's that's an incredible blessing to have been given in your life to to always be able to come back to that. And do you think, in some ways, and, and do you think, in some ways, that then has really allowed you to step out of the normal? The, the, you know, to, to to move to Byron, to do some of the things that you've done, do you think mm-hmm. that really informed your ability to do that?
1: I was introduced at my book launch by one of my most beloved friends who is the New South Wales Land Carer of the Year, um, Don Durrant. Uh, he's in his late 70s and this is a man who inspires me greatly because he's planted over 160,000 trees single-handedly in his lifetime and And I met Don on a blockade at uh, Doubtful Creek, which is in um in New South Wales, where we began blockading um coal seam gas that was going to be set up in what the, what the one of the most watery regions in Australia here so it was ridiculous so Don I met, and he introduced me at my book launch to everyone, and he said she's the bravest woman I know she's so fearless and I'd never heard him say that and and I, and I, it's a really interesting thing because, yes, I think that experience as a child did give me a courage and a fearlessness mm-hmm. uh, and 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 yet sometimes it's hard to self-analyse, um, you know, where it's like, well, this is kind of natural. I just go in and have a go, you know. I'll go in and say it. I'll go in and do it. I'll, I'll knock on that door. Well, why wouldn't you knock on that door? You know, and I found myself, you know, with bands of people and then walking and I'll be the one walking to the door and then I'll turn around and there's like oh my god, they're all gone. No nobody's at the door with me. It's like what happened? It's all right. They're people too. They're gonna be all right. You know, we're all equal.
0: Mm-hmm. So
1: I yeah, I think it definitely informed me, but I really wanna, you know, I I think sometimes it's really important for me to say to your viewers now that if the mind is wanting to compare, I've done that plenty, A plenty. You know, how come, you know, you're brave, I'm not brave. How come, you know, you've done these experiences I haven't. You know, this. these are the times, I believe, to allow each other to be inspired, to lift up and out of fear. And I, as you know, Jen, as you've been there on the end of the line, when I've gone, okay, I've forgotten. I'm I'm scared. Where is that big beautiful angel again? Mm. You know, that's being human. Absolutely. That's important to, yeah. That's there right. It's a combination.
0: It is a combination. I think, and that's right. But I think this is an interesting thing we're touching on here is that to be human and to live this experience, to live the, the experience of the fearlessness, doesn't mean that you let go of that humanity or doesn't mean that you don't experience those fearful moments. And it doesn't mm-hmm. mean that you don't experience anxiety or fear of, mm-hmm. of, of what could be. But I think the difference here is how do I engage, how do I deal with my fear, how do I deal with my anxiety? And I've, I've spoken this podcast quite a bit about that. And mm-hmm. how do I then move, how do I continue on regardless of that? And I think that yeah. to me, when I, when I think about why this podcast was established was exactly it was. It, it, that's that's the point. Was yeah. regardless of how I'm feeling, this this sense of fear. How can I keep on moving forward? How can I expand into who I really am? How can I expand to feel more joy and love mm-hmm. and freedom in my life, regardless mm-hmm. of that fear, regardless of that mm-hmm. fear? So perhaps if we then rewind back then to perhaps some of those ex- earlier experiences of your lives, perhaps when you of your life, perhaps when you'd moved to Byron, or perhaps one mm-hmm. of the experiences that you perhaps share in your book or perhaps where fear was present for you
2: and mm-hmm. how
0: you mm-hmm. dealt with that.
1: Oh, well the first the, the first thing that comes to mind is being arrested in South <laughs> Australia. Let's go there. Let's, oh, oh my god, that was so so scary. Mm. I, you know, and and the the I had never been in prison before. I had never broken the law. I'd never been arrested. I'd never been to a blockade. Mm. Uh, I've rallied. I've walked in rallies. In, but this was I'd gone out to the country, to South Australia, to the largest uranium, second largest uranium deposit in the world at Olympic Dam. And uh, it was cultural business. I was with my Githubal Soulmate, and he was invited by an uncle out there to try to stop this mining company from expanding this mine. And already the mine was being dug in the back of an ancestral lizard who they, in their old law, they say, do not disturb. That sleeping lizard, Kutal, I think his name is, is so dangerous and that's the heat, that's uranium. Don't touch um, it. They can see it. They painted it. So, you know, it's it's really passionate stuff. It's really brings up a lot to be on the front line and to see land being destroyed and to hear ancient wisdom from an elder right there telling you that it's so dangerous for the whole planet and their old law is so written in the stars, it's written in the, you know, it's written in the rocks, it's written in the 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 forest and so in the desert. So they just know. And then here is this like, you know, progress or whatever we know doing these stupid things. So I was very, very passionate. And there was just a simple question I was asking of this whole face drank line of police. And that was why is Channel Seven allowed to film? this lock-on where, where a vehicle was being blocked by one of the protesters, how can Channel 7 get the full view and our film crew can't? And I was like, how come? You know, I don't mind you telling me the reason. How come? It doesn't seem fair. How come, how come, how come? And me with my mouth, I was like, just explain it to me, you know? And that was me being, hey, I pay taxes, I'm like a... You know, woman, educated woman, I deserve an out- answer from the police. And my answer was getting picked up by two burly policemen. I mean, they were strong and got chucked in the back of the paddy wagon. Wow. And, of course, it was completely illegal what they did, you know. and, and I, But they had the law on their side and they needed to fill a quota of certain people that they needed to arrest. And it's not until you see really big money and a lot of people would never see it in Australia where there's big money, there's big forces to protect it and uh, there's big money in uranium mining. And so, the you know, there were 300 police to 400 protesters and nah. I was in a paddy wagon and it was the hot summer desert day and I was in my panic room, Jen. Wow. Like yeah. a on that.
0: Mm. (laughs) so how did you deal with that like you know how did you deal with that
2: i
1: i made a decision Mm a pure decision it was what i think right now is going to determine how this works out for me fantastic and so yeah so i said i decide to think peaceful and I put my mind straight to the Bunya Mountains, my place of peace, deep peace. And I stayed there. I mm. heard the trickling water of the creeks. So I saw the big bunya pines. Mm. I used my imagination.
0: you know. You chose
1: it's like your skill the these days, isn't it? To use your imagination.
0: It is. It is a really good, well, it's a tool, but I don't know if you're even need enough. Okay. And look at those beautiful birds there in your bush setting. How gorgeous is that? So, those <laughs> looking for overseas, at some beautiful Australian birds here, we can hear that. But that's, I mean, how powerful is that for you to choose your perspective in that moment? And you could have gone to anger, bitterness, hatred, whole range of them. Yet, instead, those birds are telling us that we chose this. They're telling us the power of that. Wow. <laughs> yeah. How, how fantastic to choose that perspective of peace in that moment. And It would have been hot. It would have been mm. stuffy. It would have been everything in your body would have wanted to get out of there. So how powerful to actually, and this is what we can do with our minds, it is it is to choose this place that we go to and to go to that place rather than going to the conditioned place of fear and anxiety and anger. How powerful. Yeah. So how did yeah, all that end up? It's here? a choice. It, it is a choice. It's a huge choice and a huge decision. So how did that all <laughs> maybe, end up?
1: Maybe, well, maybe you might like to buy my book
2: <laughs> so <laughs> you can read what oh
0: That's a good segue for people to read what happened in the book because Iris does actually, and I've I've read the book and I've actually interviewed Iris for another um, book event uh, about it. So I will actually encourage people to 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 look out for the book. We'll put details in the show notes because. Iris does explain it's actually quite a drawn out process that she has to go through, and it's quite, mm-hmm. quite. Mm-hmm. Um, it has a good outcome, obviously, but it's certainly mm-hmm. a journey mm-hmm. for you in that process. So, mm-hmm. how powerful mm-hmm. to have made that that choice and that decision? And I think mm-hmm. that really, when I think of, when in terms of what I've read in your book, that's that that choice making those decision points really did, certainly did. Um, they're very key markers in your life. And one of the things I know when I've interviewed you before about the book, I've said, interesting to have written an autobiography before you turned 50. And um, tell us, tell me why, tell, tell, tell us why you felt this story was important to tell now.
1: This is a story about waking up to the truth of Australia's history. Mm. And it needs to happen, yesterday. <laughs> mm. this, this, this was my awakening. Mm. Uh, a, a, a woman brought up beautiful parents, middle-class Australia in the gap, plenty of freedom to roam bare feet in the forest right near our suburban home, which was on the outskirts of Brisbane city. And there was just a sea of white faces, and I, 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 I don't, generally I don't like to use this colour of someone's skin in order to describe who they are. It, let's say that, you know, that's just, um, it's the words that we have, There, we really were a sea of this colour of European descent everywhere I went, everywhere mm. I went. And the uh, white Australian policy uh, where there was this deliberate 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 policies that were made to benefit, economically benefit a few people in society in Australia, meant that so many were outcast and weren't benefited. Mm -hmm. And so they were, as we know, our Indigenous Australians, our First Nations Australians, they were just uh, treated as second-class citizens. And Mm -hmm. so I was not allowed to learn about this incredible ancient culture, and yet something in me eventually went there because I loved the land, I loved the water, I loved the trees, I loved animals. I, I was such a child of the earth. It was like it was in me. I was born like that. I just was fascinated by water. And so eventually if one is interested enough in koalas and interested enough in kangaroos and interested enough how the stars are, well, you want to go who first knew kangaroo and who first knew koala? You know, and who first knew these ancient Bunya trees? And it's like they're Aboriginal people. Mm. So you go, well, what it told me And then you pour through. I poured through books and and um, and I, and then I, you know, created, life brought me this beautiful, beautiful Kitabunuraku man who actually grew up over the hill from me at the Gap in housing commission, poverty, uh, a single mama, difficult, very difficult, hard circumstances. He was a part of the outcast. I didn't even know. I didn't even know that was happening. Totally, totally didn't know. And so I wrote what I saw during this six years with him, travelling to bush camps, going out to sacred sites, being desecrated by, by the resource sector, watching the heartbreak of the Aboriginal elders, families torn apart, communities torn apart, sacred sites being gobbled up because everywhere that there is minerals in the ground, there are ancient stories. You know, mm-hmm. they are the grid systems joining and these, they're being doubled and they're our doorways to other worlds and they're, they're like the Uluru custodians. They had to stop people from walking on Uluru. That was led by the grandmothers out there. They've been working on that for so many years, Jen, because they have a responsibility to country. If someone falls off Uluru, which you don't hear a lot about but they did, and it's mm. not a pretty, it was not a pretty thing. And people had to go up and try to find those bodies. And they're like, you know, they were like skinned by the time they were at the bottom. There's nothing left of these people who fell off this rock. All those elders were in heartbreak every time somebody mm. fell off that rock because mm. it was their fault. They took it as their fault. Mm. So it's like if you've got a tree in your backyard and then someone climbs it and falls out, I would feel responsible, Right.
0: Absolutely. I would feel
1: terribly responsible. mm, mm, So they feel responsible for their land.
0: That's it. And that incredible responsibility.
1: And everybody who gets hurt.
0: What was that? Sorry.
1: And anybody who gets hurt Mm -hmm. from country being exploited is their responsibility.
0: Mm, mm. It's incredible, isn't it? I I
1: found out about that.
0: Yeah. And just to give people some context who might not be from Australia listening to this podcast, Uluru is this incredibly sacred spiritual enormous rock that rises out of the desert in central Australia. It's 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 we call it our heart. You you don't understand it until you've been there. I, I had the, the privilege of going a few years ago and, and Iris, I know you take people on retreat there, and it is the most incredibly incredible place. So of course our first Australians would have a few, feel a huge responsibility for those who are who are visiting their 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 country and how to do that. So, just in terms of from those years of, of travel and 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 obviously uh, work activist work that you did, what were some of the I guess the true gifts that you learned from our First Nations people? Because I think, to be frank, I think this is where we have. Obviously, we still have a divide in this country, and it's it's our lack, it's the lack of the white person's understanding of that that deep heritage and that deep respect for the land and the deep knowledge that our First Nations people hold. Like we we've got no concept of that of that depth of that knowledge. I, I, I'm the first to admit it. But I guess if you could share with us one or two of the beautiful pieces of wisdom that you learnt on that journey, that might help bridge that gap. For those listening mm. to, to learn more, because I think that's that's the power. This is this is a time for a coming together and a deepening of understanding. And I think by sharing some mm. of the wisdom, we can become closer.
1: Yeah. So I definitely am not an authority of this wisdom. I, I am a messenger of this wisdom, uh, and the grandmother law, granny law. Being the highest law uh, is the first thing that I want to share. That was shared with me from uh, my now my spirit uncle Bob Randall. I have permission to use his name, Chilpi Bob Randall. Some of you may know his Canyini documentary and his work with Canyini, which is loving all life unconditionally. So he was an Anganu elder um, out there in Uluru, taken off country at the age of eight, stolen generation, to a, um, a Scottish father and a um, Tangawa Aboriginal mother, Anganu mother. Uncle would be be in the oneness. He was a he would be in it. He would take you to that consciousness in his presence because it was so, he's a living master for me. Mm. And so he would show me how to enter this oneness through small, very simple, very humble. Recognitions of the beautiful life forms around us. It's not complicated
2: mm-hmm.
1: the the way to come to peace by feeling the beauty of nature around us. And even the breath or the breath or the, the breath of the wind just touching the skin, he would just, oh, wow, so beautiful. He would just say beautiful. Yeah, all this appreciation and it would make this this small, what was often so unseen and insignificant, so amplified by being focused on it. So that that canini, jungle, napuji, napuji, everything living together is side by side, holding hands, and we are we are brothers and sisters. You know, and science can, can kind of start measuring all that now. And so the one mind or the Lakota will call it the native mind, Jen. Mm-hmm.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Where it's not separating everything out, it's it's an observing.
0: So Iris, that is amazing that 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 oneness that you've just described that Uncle Bob taught you so beautifully. I mean, when you think mm. about it, you know, all cultures across our planet, you know, all faith traditions or and and different traditions around the planet, but this is what we're looking for is this the sense of mm. oneness, the sense of peace, this sense of calm. Mm. And, and again, I know this is something you described so your experiences with Uncle Bob so beautifully in the book, but what a privilege to have learned from such an elder! How amazing! Yeah, yeah, sending blessings to him. Yeah, and this, this is the this is where your journey to freedom has taken you, you know, to be to this to this ability to meet with and connect our cultures together. And I think that's something that I want to say that I'm personally grateful to you for because, as you said, and, it's very, and I understand you're very respectful, you're a messenger and not an authority, but mm-hmm. even messen- messengers are important. This is how connections happen. This is how, how we do come back into community mm-hmm. with each other. And if we look at the, you know, the social change happening around our world, this is a really important time for us to focus on these notions of connection and peace rather than divide and so we need messengers like you to share this information that can then make it more and make our connections more accessible with with our first Mm. nations because i think that's that's Mm. something we we need to do a lot of work on in this country is exactly that so Mm. thank you so much for sharing that such a power and such a powerful time i know in your life so Thinking, thinking about all of these experiences that that you've had, is there and was there anything else that was there any other lesson or any other piece of wisdom that you learned from that time in terms of your your work? Mm. And I know you did a lot of work with Uncle mm. Bob, but also with other Indigenous cultures around the world. Was there anything else you wanted to share with mm. us from those experiences? Any other wisdoms?
1: Well, I was, I was like a dog at a bone. Wanting to find out about what's happening to the environment,
2: mm-hmm.
1: uh, I had I was raising my daughter, and I I was having strong messages, strong signs that we were in trouble, that the earth was sick, is sick, water sick, and I was. Um, a citizen journalist for a while writing for No Fibs and because I was on the Bentley blockade here um, diligently stopping coal seam gas mining, which we su- successfully stopped in the northern rivers, and learning from uh, other farmers and landholders and Aboriginal elders who were un- were unable to stop these gas invasions and coal mining invasions, which has been devastated their land and then the results of fossil fuel Uh, consumption and what the earth has to do to actually deal with the carbon and carbon emissions, which we all are really now so much more aware of, Uh, Mm. thankfully to, you know, science and to way showers and people who have done their best to try to wake up everybody um, and had been screaming out to get policymakers to actually take note of this decades ago. Mm. You know, uh, so I was a part of wanting to find this out and then as a deep thinker, I was working out well, okay how do how do I use my voice and my hands and uh, my eyes, what I'm seeing now to make sense of all this? And then that seeking. What one seeks is seeking you. I believe that's a really magical principle of attraction. And so I wanted to go to the cause. I've been a healer. I've studied aromatherapy, massage. I've worked on thousands of people with body work and fascinated by the emotional body, Jen. And everywhere in the physical body, there's, there's an issue. There was a beginning in the emotional body. So where did this all begin that started to hurt the earth? you know and this this mm. beginning place is you know is is in consciousness and so what i discovered by looking at this climate crisis energy this 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 fear that can come with that or also knowledge you know we need to know what's going on before we can start dissecting it and finding solutions which so many people are doing and it's so fantastic to herald the good news that there is unbelievable technology now and a lot of that technology you know has been held back for global privatization corporate greed to not let let the human's ability to use free energy free technology create in most incredible ways that humans can it has been deliberately oppressed so now it's like pushing through let's just let it push through but what occurred to me on the way to a ceremony in the Black Hills of South Dakota where I go to at the end of my book where I am invited to go with a, um, a nun curry from, uh, from Arnhem Land, um, Auntie Milawonga, and meet up with Annie Barb Randall, who's the widower of Uncle Bob at the time, you know, is, Uncle Bob's wife, and uh, to meet her with a beautiful friend, Angela Snow, and then Rob Wildwood from England, uh, who is an amazing man who goes across the um, countrysides to go to sacred sites and do activations and writes about it. We all came together to go to help the Lakota to get their Black Hills back. Mm-hmm. Um, and, um, and what occurred to me from listening to the Lakota elders speaking and being invited into their ceremony where they are communicating, Jen, with their ancestors
2: Uh,
1: all the time. Uncle Bob, the the connected lawmen and women, they uh, said the ancestors always watching, always. um, They're always there. And their their rebirth, their descendancies are a huge focus. So that's why the decisions today are made with the thought of their rebirth into the descendancy. That's another way to live fearlessly if you think about the children instead of yourself, you know, and the great, great, great grandchildren. So it occurred to me at the base of this phenomenal landmark called Devil's Tower, uh, which is the English name for it, which is Matutapilia, which is uh, one of the Lakota names, but there's also other tribes, like the Cheyenne, um, the Dakota, Dakota. I can't remember all of them, but they also honour this mount, this sacred, freakish, freakish rock formation that looks like a massive tree. It was at the base of this landmark, and that's often when epiphanies happen where there's big, powerful presence in, from nature and in front of oneself and humbling. I was like, it's a spiritual crisis. It's mm. not a climate crisis. It's a spiritual crisis.
0: Can you expand on that? I agree with you, but can you expand on what you mean in relation to that?
1: Religion, institutionalising religion has created so much pain for so many people mm. who were unable to fit
2: Mm-hmm.
1: You know, and this idea of heaven and hell is the separate mind, not the one mind. this idea that you can only go and worship in a place you know it's not it's not the human connected to this great temple of mm-hmm. Mother Earth mm-hmm. and this great creator, father being. so it's so many people have had to step away from religion. And then are afraid to be like pagan or Mm. hippie. (laughs) You know? And then there's like, I don't know, I mean you're if you don't mind me referring to your mother's sacred No, not at all. You know, I loved the ceremony in the Anglican church up Mm. at Baden. Hmm. You know, it's it's still there everywhere, Mm. this connection. Everybody's ability to be able to have a right to a magnetic connection
0: to the mystical,
1: to the unseen world is
0: being forgotten. Look, I, I completely agree with you. And, and I think I love how you've put that in that, and I would agree with you wholeheartedly. We are, we've we've lost connection and, and connection with ourselves at this very elemental level and so therefore, and we've lived in this, we live in this perception of duality and uh, I have, therefore you can't or we can, mm. but then they can't, this sort of separation. And mm. that's what then has caused the, you know, the call on raw materials of the earth, as you've said, and the, the whole, you know, we won't go into the whole, but you're right in terms of the whole climate crisis. It mm. is, it's about who has and who has not, and mm-hmm. it's an argument of duality and it's one mm-hmm. that we're never, we're never, we're never going to, no mm-hmm. one's ever going to, be, Not the, we're never going to get to the bottom of, like it's, it, there's, it's, it's, it's by its very nature, it's not possible. The only way that we can move through that is actually through coming back to connection and I would agree with you the huge crisis in humanity is our lack of connectedness to ourselves and to our mm-hmm. source self. Yeah. And mm-hmm. you gave me chills earlier when you were talking about the Lakota and also yeah. our own beautiful First Nations people here. They have mm-hmm. that connection to the earth still, and right. they are the holders of the, that connection. You know that earth connection. Um, mm-hmm. And as you said, the connection to the to the to the ancestors and, and the fact that they are talking to them, I fully and strongly believe that. We all have mm-hmm. this connection to a whole realm of guides and supporters, family members who have who've transitioned. Mm-hmm. They haven't, they're haven't; they not dead. They've just changed <laughs> form and mm-hmm. uh, to what one could probably say is a much higher vibration. But they're there. Mm-hmm. They're all here to support us. That's right. That's Our job, right. You know, they are here completely to support us. But mm-hmm. we need to have more clarity about, mm-hmm. I guess, it's about understanding that that connection is available to us to stop. Because for me, this is what stops that incredible loneliness, that incredible right. separation, that incredible singularity mm-hmm. that I am. You know, I live in this male- malevolent mm-hmm. society that doesn't care. Mm-hmm. It's actually the opposite. And as you say, when you come into connection with nature, you're starting mm-hmm. to connect with some of that wisdom, aren't you? So, yes.
1: Yeah. And when I learned from. The Gamalarae uh, Elder, who was and is still um, trying to stop his country down there in um, the north northwest plains of the Liverpool Plains of New South Wales, where there's a lot of um, coal mining and there's um, a big forest there under threat. The Pilliga Forest is under threat from coal seam gas mining. Um, this uncle... He came with his sons and connected his mob down there in um, Mori and did cultural dance in the Pilgar mm. and did cult- cultural song and then he told story. And so how do we stay connected?
2: Mm. We
1: can watch. We watch the the First Nations people, they stay connected with ritual, 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 daily ritual, waking up, honouring the land, the sun, the earth, the water, the drink, the first drink, the first breath.
0: It's quite bright
1: with that sun is yes. that okay my darling with it's the all, it's
0: all good. we're doing well we can see you very well
1: <laughs> is it okay is it okay yeah I Absolutely. Always, um, yeah and so i've got my little this is like my sun visor here
0: <laughs> That's very good um it's, it's, and are, so, yeah. those who are listening rather than watching um on youtube where we're, Iris is in her beautiful bush area and uh, the sun's just changed direction as we've been talking so that's what we're talking about there but yes you're right and I love what you've just said then it's this honoring in this daily ritual and it does mm-hmm. something for us and it and I think for anyone watching or listening it doesn't have to be any way the way that anyone says it should be it's the way it works for you and yeah. this is about finding mm-hmm. your own rhythm with your world and your life and whatever that connection point can be really, and, mm-hmm. and, mm-hmm. and uh, you know, I think our First Nations people can have a lot to teach us in that space, as you have just shared. and But it's this power of ritual and a, and a daily honouring, mm-hmm. getting connected with mm-hmm. ourselves. So how do you do that for yourself?
1: How do I what? Do it myself?
0: Do, do it for yourself. Yeah, what, what are some of your daily rituals?
1: Well, um, the dawn, going to Go- the sunrise. That is a, a very um, regular ritual that I do. The, the days where I wake up with the dawn and wake up with the birds, they're always better. Hmm. They're always better days. They just are. There's a clarity and a purity. There's just a just allow the light from the morning sun uh, to fill up my whole body hmm. and I um, I, I honour the light. Light and I then I you know send out love to my mother, and my father, and the people that I love, and make and ask for them to be you know protected. And thinking of others is mm. also another beautiful way to take the mind into more expansive places. Mm. And I I try to be present, mm. present with what it is that I'm doing. That also gives the mind uh, something to just focus on. Just uh, mm. The past oh, <laughs> I remember when um I, when when in my book I speak about um, the death of my stepson,
2: mm.
1: uh, this beautiful Githabul man that I traveled with, um, whose son passed in 2017. And uh, because I've got a very analytical mind, Jen, I was just desperate to find out every single tiny detail of how he had passed away and what would have happened to him and what would have he thought, what would have he felt. And I was um, maddened, maddened by this um, grief and confusion and I thought if I could work it out, if I could just work it out, that somehow I would be able to come to some kind of peace with what had happened. So I went to to see a doctor and the doctor said to me, first things first, you cannot change the past.
0: Wow. That's what a piece of profound wisdom in that moment. That's incredible. How did you respond to that?
1: It went so deep into me and it made me realise that all of my thinking and trying to bargain with the past, Jen, was actually just me avoiding the impact and the deep mm. feelings that needed to come, the deep grief, and that was that my response was to drop into my feeling body and to, you know, it was to go through the fire, the hurricane, the Freezing cold desert agony pain everything that the feeling body actually had to endure uh, was was being withheld because of my mind trying to race into seeing if I could fix something that was impossible to fix. That's I'm right,
0: impossible to fix. And I I think you're exactly right. It's that it's that moving from the logical brain because we're trained so much, particularly in our Western society to work with the logic and to not connect in with our feeling body but it's our feelings, It's we live in a feeling reality, we are feeling beings and to deny them is I feel what causes a lot of pain but in that deep moment of grief and I, I understand what you're talking about and I've been there myself with, with losing my mother last year as you said and it is, there's no way around, there's no way up or over, you've just got to go straight through, haven't you? What was your path to helping you through that? I mean and I love how you said the deserts and the, the storms mm. of grief, but what was your path through that grief? How did you navigate that?
2: I wrote I wrote my book.
0: Yeah. Beautiful.
2: Yeah, it was my own car. It
1: was mm-hmm. uh it was my vocation, my passion, and I was able to pour my, my energy into making sense of this story. And, of course, Jakey is woven
2: through the story.
1: Yes. And, uh, yeah, well, I feel quite, it was just I'm so glad that the art and the craft, my, my deep talent that was, you know, God-gifted became my,
0: um, you know, my angel Mm. Oh, it's so dead. and what is so beautiful about the book is that it is so honoring of jakey and we we grow up with him in many ways you share he's he he so he lives on with us through your writing and through your paper <laughs> and we know he's here with us energetically right now and having a wonderful time where he is but uh, <laughs> earthly selves for him to be honoured in that way is a very beautiful thing. He had an incredible mm-hmm. energy about him, so we're very. Mm-hmm. If you had not been able to write, we wouldn't have those this memory of him. So we're very blessed.
1: On his second anniversary of his passing, which was last year, uh, we're coming really close to the third anniversary. Yeah, in um, August. Yeah, in August. In uh, actually, it's going to be in a week. A week. And on the second anniversary, I I was driving along in Brisbane City and I was ready to go into the loss and the grief and the sadness that this young life was cut short. And I asked, I prayed, I said, just help me see and feel everything that I need to feel today to honour Jacob. I want to be a a being of honouring of him, whatever that takes wherever that takes me and I turned on the radio on the car and Guy Sebastian's song was playing um, that he wrote for his producer who who passed away and um, it's just such a great upbeat song, you know, now you're singing with the choir, you're dancing with the crew, we're all, you know, we're all um, vouching for you. It's like this amazing, we're coming and we're going to, you know, herald you and celebrate you where you are right now and one day we'll be there and we'll be all able to dance again together. And I just had this fantastic conversation with Jakey where I was like, Oh my God, you know, I love this song. That's what I'm gonna do for you. You 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 were born into the spirit world the day that you left us and um, on the physical plane and now you're up there dancing with the choir. And I could hear him go, I don't like guy Sebastian Iris <laughs> <laughs> and I was like, just for today, baby, that's our song. <laughs> <laughs> I
2: was way to get a
0: message through to you and it was by Guy Sebastian. Sometimes the messengers are not always the messengers that we choose, but they can that's get a message.
1: right. And Jackie's with Uncle, you know, and they're up with yeah.
0: the foot. they're big light beings and they're there to help. That's it. And they are and it was his choice at some level to mm-hmm. live earlier yeah, and you do the work he needs to do where he needs to do it. So what a blessing that we can uh, celebrate him through your book and and also the and the ancestor and and celebrate everything through your book. I think as you said earlier, this book te- the book this book tells us a part of our Australian history that we perhaps don't all know about. It's a truth I think you talk about that needs to be told and it does open that up. For us, in a way that's accessible through the eyes of a, of a you know a, a, a middle class young woman and who mm. grows up, and who really who you share your your heart and you also share so many beautiful messages with us. And as we're coming, I guess, to the close of our podcast, a question yeah. that I always ask is, what does freedom mean to you? And I'd love to hear, <laughs> after this great mm. conversation we've had, what does freedom mean to you?
1: Freedom is peace. Freedom means peace, peace from the mind that is fearful or full of guilt or shame, peace from all of the trappings of the mind. Mm. And freedom comes from taking complete responsibility for one's life where I am not a victim of my circumstances and uh, nobody's to blame. I am the creator, working with creator and it is up to me how I use these hands and this mouth and these eyes and this mind every single day. What do I choose to focus on every single day? To see the beauty or to see the suffering, Mm. to feel, to feel, or to shy away.
2: Mm.
1: Freedom to trust who I am authentically me and to. Let it come through my mouth, my eyes, my heart, my work, my deeds, just to be me uh, regardless of whether I'm liked or approved of.
0: That's just absolutely in alignment with you on all of that. And thank you for so beautifully sharing that definition of freedom because I'm in complete alignment and that's, That's what this podcast is all about is that we have, freedom is our ability to choose our perspective and to understand we are the creator of our lives. So I think you have shared with us an incredible journey of the creation of your life so far. I'm (laughs) looking forward to talking to you in the future about the next chapter. I'm sure there'll be, you've mentioned you're writing another book. I'm looking forward to reading that. But between now and then, how is it best for people to get in contact with you? How would you like people to connect with you, Iris, if they'd like to connect with you more?
1: Well, anyone can um, get onto my website, deeplisteningtonature.com. You can send me a a message through Messenger, Iris Raynan. I'm on Facebook. And you can also see some of the links at the bottom of deeplisteningtonature.com. That's right.
0: And I think if you want to really connect with Iris more, a beautiful way to do that would be to read her book because it, it's deeply personal. But it's also uh, a fantastic uh, overview of 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 the variety of opportunities available to us in Australian life and mm. the opportunity for yeah. us to connect even more into the truth of who we are through our connection with the earth. And I think that's the the gift that you've really given us through that book. So we, I really commend it to everybody. And, um, you know, I just thank you so much for your time with us today. It's been such a joy and such a fantastic conversation. So thank you, Iris.
1: Thank you so much, Jen, for all that you're doing. And um, I just thought of Einstein. He said, those of us who have the privilege to know have the duty to
0: act absolutely we do and so let's act with an open heart and mm-hmm. excitement and with inspiration about what we can do in our lives and mm-hmm. uh anyone who's listening to this podcast if you're thinking about doing something thinking about being creative or anything in your life anything that inspires you just step out and just mm-hmm. have a go it doesn't have to be climbing Mount Everest but it could just be mm-hmm. one little thing that mm-hmm. inspires you Go and give it a go. You never know what's on the other side of that inspiration. So sending you so much love, Iris, we're down there in Byron Bay, and I'll look forward to seeing you in person very soon. Mm. Lots of love. Thank you for joining me on this episode of Your Freedom Unlimited. If you like this show, please share it with a friend. And if you haven't already, subscribe, rate and review Your Freedom Unlimited on your favourite podcast player. If you have any questions, comments or feedback, you can reach me directly at jenramsey.com. Thanks for listening.